Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Forever Blue, which of course is a weekly podcast which is generally recorded uh, the day after the weekend game that City have played. In this uh, case, even though it's a funny time of the year, City played uh, on the Sunday at six o'clock against Sheffield United and we're recording this the following day on the Monday. Uh, Next week, for example, City play Port Vale on the Saturday, so we'll record on the Sunday and so it continues. Uh, Thanks very much for listening, for subscribing, for giving us good reviews. We appreciate all that sort of stuff. And of course, uh, here we are on the eve of a new year. Happy New Year to you from from everybody who's involved in the Forever Blue podcast. And that includes, of course, charleslouis.co.uk, who are the sponsors of the podcast. They're a chartered mortgage advisors. And uh, if you want to find out more about them or you're interested in buying a property or you know somebody who is, look at their website, which is charleslouis.co.uk. But it also has on there a phone number if you want to speak to somebody personally and find out a little bit more about what they do. And I'm sure that they can give you some advice and and I certainly know the people or certainly one of the people involved in that company and I can highly recommend them so thanks very much to them for supporting us Uh, the guest list today on the podcast is Adam who's wearing a New York City football you're not changed allegiances here Adam have you the VAR's a bit better over there so I decided (laughs) to change (laughs) We've all got Harlan, also got Harlan, whose uh, yeah, beard is growing longer. Is that to I'm try and back. get away from Gary Neville lookalikes? That's more Wurzel Gummidge today, in, isn't in it? In 117, there is somebody that looks more like Gary Neville than me. And I looked to my left yesterday and I said to Jess, he's the new Gary Neville. I'm, I'm, I'm not having that name anymore. But yeah, Ian, I am back, fully fit, ready to go, and that hammy injury, sorted. Well, I didn't see Wurzel Gummidge, but I believe it's Mackenzie Crook who's playing that part, who was on TV over Christmas, but I can imagine you're looking like Wurzel Gummidge now, so maybe that's oh, your new lookalike. Uh, we've also got Tony from Hot Click Marketing, who's uh, not only a regular now on the podcast, but also is a sponsor, of course, of the vlog. And we will be doing a draw a little bit later on to find out who has won some Tunnel Club tickets for the Port Vale game, which Hocklick Marketing have supplied. So thank you very much, Tony. Um, And, of course, you will no doubt have some opinions on what we've got to talk about tonight, I'm sure. Now, there are plenty of things that we want to talk about. Um, Later on, we'll be talking about Derby ticket allocation, which is something which is uh, very sensitive. And I must must say at this point that next week's podcast, remember it's going to be recorded the day after the Port Vale game, uh, four members of the City Matters Committee are going to be sat here as my guests. So that is something we will be talking about in, in a lot more detail. But we'll we'll talk about it a little bit today as well. Uh, there's been two games. There's been the defeat at Wolves. Uh, there's been the sending off of Edison. There's been VAR. There's also, <coughs> apologies, my, my sore throat. Um, so to give my voice a rest, let me start straight away by asking you to pick out the good and bad bits of the last two games, which is the Wolves game. I know it's a funny time of the year when you forget where you are, but Wolves game and then followed by the Sheffield United win. So I'm going to stop, take a drink. What do you think? I'll start, Ian. Um, yeah, the, the Wolves game was um, it was well, it was made a lot more difficult than needed to be, really, with that sending off. Um, my views on the sending off are different to a lot of people's. I don't really think that Edison's done too much wrong, to be honest. How many times do we see him run out and um, and try and head the ball away? It's something that he's trademarked for now, I believe. Um, Jota's got to the ball first, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but I feel he's left an arm in and I feel like he's he's almost bought uh, a sending off there. And um, you know, Edison's you know, been a bit naive, but also don't really think he was, he was uh, that much to blame. I think that it's... Uh, bit terrible on Jota's part but never mind he got sent off and um, I think we managed the game quite well after that 
to an extent. And then um, somebody that I've defended a hell of a lot in Benjamin Mendy decided to um, mess around, if you want to call it that, uh, on the byline. Um, could have been a foul, may not have been a foul, may have been a foul. If he'd have gone down, would he have got a foul? I don't know. But Adama's bossed him, crossed the ball and in. And then, yeah, the, the, the final goal was, was basically down to a nervy defensive line because of that mistake from Mendy. So I think that it was a catastrophic, well, it was a catastrophic, catastrophic, can't get words out, um, end to the game. And uh, overall, yeah, I was left a bit flat. Uh, earlier today, I tweeted out that we were going to be asking, uh, talking about different subjects on the uh, the podcast and asking people if they had any questions. And um, I certainly saw one, I'll find it in a minute, which was basically about the social media condemnation of Mendy, for example, after the mistake that he made. I mean, he knows he made a mistake. He, he admitted to it, held his hands up. Uh, but there was a vilification of him. Some of it will not have been City fans, whether it, some of it will have been City fans. I suppose, in a way, it's irrelevant. It's still people having a go at a footballer for making, for making a mistake. We, on the podcast, criticise people. Of course we do. I mean, that's part of what being a football fan is. And, uh, you know, there are, there are, I suppose, there are some types of fans who say you should never criticise any City player or have a go at the club in any way. Um, I, I, I don't think that's fair. I mean, I understand the... The sort of the, the the mentality of, you know, we, we've been a lot worse in the past, and this is brilliant. So now don't criticise anything and just be grateful for it. And I, for one, am very grateful for it. But I still think it's fair to criticise. Well, there's a difference between us having a what I hope is an intelligent debate, um, and uh, and it's among City fans, and going onto somebody's personal social media platform and and putting horrible things on there. I mean, I don't go through Mendy's stream, or it might be other players um, that have, have had that stick as well. Edison might have got some stick, I don't know. But, you know, what, what, how do you feel about that? Because you, you're all three of you, particularly you, Tony, because your job is about getting people to the top of Google searches and everything. So you're on social media all the time. What do you feel about it? Is it just something that is never going to go away, a bit like VAR? Pretty much. I mean, in terms of social media and that side of it, it's here to stay and it's not going anywhere. And unfortunately, there is kind of a section on social media in terms of how they act and everybody needs to know their opinion regardless of what that opinion is. Um, we'll Obviously, I think we've got a uh, show coming up in the new year with regards to social media and uh, its impact on society on same side radio. But um, yeah. yeah, he was my guest, by the way, if you want to listen to that. It's the first Saturday between one and two. Uh, in the new year on Tameside Radio, which is 103.6 FM and DAB. And the reason I'm plugging that is we're sat in the Tameside Radio studios, for which I'm very appreciative. But you can hear Tony talking about his business um, and, and his life, actually, uh, on, in that hour, if you want to listen to it. Nice plug, that, by the way. You, know, look, you forgot to mention about the beginning, so I thought I'd uh, drop Tameside in there. Um, but no, in terms of how social media is these days, it's never going to go. We don't. It's not just City fans. It's, you know, across board, across the world, fans... Uh, um, you know, we had it earlier on this season with racial abuse being targeted at United players from United fans. Um, we see it, you know, when um, any player makes a mistake, the fan base seem to jump on them. And Mendy made a mistake, granted. Now, I didn't put anything on social media about it because for me, it's one of those things players make mistakes in football matches and I'm not going to put that doubt into his head in my head if I go at him on Twitter etc I'm not going to put a bit of doubt into his head for his next game because yeah, all the fans yeah. are on his back and that side of it whereas 
I don't necessarily mind people criticising players because I do it all the time. What the issue I have with social media is when people actually tag those players in, it's like, I want you to know I'm pissed off at you and this is what I think of you and this is the viol abuse I'm going to give you because of that one incident. Whereas it's all right saying, oh, well, you know, Mendy made a mistake and tweeting that out. I've got no issue with that. Mm -hmm. It's when you start tagging the people in um, to say that you're not mm -hmm. happy with them because essentially what you're trying to do there is A, bully and B, be abusive. Um, and those two things things aren't necessarily what I'd like to associate with our fan base in that sense. I do like to think that we've got um, a bit more of a mature fan base because of what we've been through over the years than some of uh, the reactionary fan bases of some of the other clubs in the Premier League. But unfortunately, with some of the younger fans in particular that have grown up with this social media world, it is very easy for them just to go, this is my opinion, I'm going to put it out there regardless of what anybody else thinks. And unfortunately, that's never going to go. So we're only going to see it get worse in my eyes. We've got two of those younger fans here. What do you think? Yeah, it's not it's not <coughs> right to be like atting people on Twitter and like having an actual abusive go. I think it's okay to criticise. Yeah. Um, I think similar to real life, I think it's it's okay to have a negative opinion of someone or something. But if you if I had a negative opinion of Ian, but I, and I went up to him and it was abusive to his face, and I was right up to his face and that type of stuff, then that's just that's just wrong. If I might, I might have an opinion, but to express it in a in an aggressive manner. Or in a way that's not constructive, it's awful. Like I, I, I uh, for my job, sometimes I have to write a few stories about uh, the way football fans react on Twitter to certain incidents that happen during a game. Just explain and, your job. Um, so, well, I'm a reporter. I work freelance for quite a lot of people. For for one certain job, um, it's basically working on. Uh, how Twitter reacts to an incident. So, for example, if there's a mistake and someone gets abuse, uh, it's sort of uh, th these stories would contain, you know, things like these. These fans aren't happy about this thing going on. Blah, Can blah, I just blah, jump in stuff. there, Adam? Sorry, yeah, go for I it. think that's part and part <coughs> of the problem as well. So we now see, I'll kind of air quote this one: um, journalists using Twitter um, to create a story. So five fans or five people are unhappy with something, and then the story is online outrage at X. Yeah. Y and Z and they're using yeah. for three or four people but then what happens is the people that read those articles can click on those tweets and then they then become interactive yeah. so what would have been a tweet that might have disappeared within 10-15 minutes because it's been picked up picked up by journalists then it then goes and carries on for another three four days whereas it would have died a death after 10 minutes usually and I think that is also part of the problem is the subpar journalism we have within the football industry um, that's no target sorry I, I, that was, no, I just realised after I said that. Well, um, no, I agree, but it is. It's it's cheap, yeah. cheap, easy to do. It's simple. If you need a few clicks, then it's a, it's one way yeah. to do it. You know, people's reactions, people's opinions. That's the that's the way things go. It's not exclusive. It's really good to have high quality journalism, but also there's a market for that low quality. If you like, where people uh, it's user generated content that you're putting onto yeah. a site, and some people are more interested in that than a five thousand word analysis on the game. Some people like different things. So when I'm producing a story like that, rather than uh, rather than analysis, what I like uh, what I like to see sometimes is if someone's had a bad game it'd be like listen mate I thought, thought you weren't great this week but um, you know ho hopefully you can pick it up in the next few games supporting you that type of stuff so that's criticism saying you weren't happy with your work rate today I weren't happy with the fact you can't cross a ball very well but you know hope you know, hope things improve you know we're backing you all the way and I think that's what it's about I think we need to it's okay to criticise but then we've still got to act, like, su still support that player so I think I might, my opinion of Kyle Walker is pretty clear I've mentioned that quite a bit I've quite a few arguments on Twitter but I'll always I'll always shout and support him every time he's on the pitch I'm never going to boo him I'm going to go oh no way for God's 
God's sake, he's awful, under my breath. But I'd never go and abuse him to his face. I'd never go and boo him on a football pitch. That's just not the way mm. I react to something. It's interesting because this subject, I didn't particularly expect us to go down this, this yeah, line. Sorry. Sometimes we just, no, nothing to be apologies. It's an interesting discussion. Um, I didn't know we were going to go down this direction. Um, so I, I want to say something on this subject, uh, which Tony knows very much about because he drew me attention to it. Uh, on the YouTube uh, version of uh, Forever Blue vlog that I did at uh, the Wolves game, uh, obviously my objection, uh, my objective when I put one of these videos together is to put um, a, a variety of different opinions. Sometimes I agree with them, sometimes I don't. Um, but they're reflective, uh, honest reflections of what people attending the games are thinking. It's sort of completely agenda-free uh, and, and I give them licence to do that. And they trust me and I appreciate that trust. <coughs> And they go on that channel and they know that within the context of that channel and what it's, what it's meant to be, they're entitled to have those opinions. However, uh, as Tony pointed out to me this week, um, a, another person, let's not go into who it is, but another person extracted part of uh, comments that were made by a couple of people on one of those vlog vlogs uh, and then spread that among different set of supporters um, and... It went viral and, and people have been very disparaging. Thankfully, the people who spoke are unidentified by the, the people who've done this, which is one reason why most of the time I let people be anonymous. I know you're not anonymous on the podcast, but most of the people on the podcast are anonymous because I don't want that to go hit back to them, which is at the core of what you're talking about here. You can say on, on Twitter, I don't think Mendy did very well there, but if you've just put... Mendy or Benjamin Mendy there's a big difference between that and at Benjamin Mendy now I'm trying to get um, t Twitter to take down the video that uh, went viral because they've breached copyright they've stolen that content from me and the person who trusted me to put their on, on their channel so I am fighting that but but the main thing is that the individuals have not been identified but in the case of vilifying individual players that's when, as you quite rightly point out, Tony, when you're putting at something in, that makes it completely different, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, I, I've never targeted somebody in that manner. And I think going back to what both of these two guys have said um, and yourself, it's not, I think it's not that you criticise somebody, it is exactly what they've said, how you criticise them and how you do it, what manner you do it in. And there's so many more variables to criticising somebody. Are you criticising them based on something? Like, you know, Adam said, you don't always have to be analytical, but are you doing it based on what you've actually seen or are you doing it based on um, the fact that you saw them play at the start of the season and ever since that one mistake, right at the start of the season against West Ham, for example, you've never liked them and that's it. And no matter what they do, they could score a trick, they could, they, could, they could stop five, six crosses in one game, they could have a man-of-the-match performance against Chelsea or United or Liverpool, for example, but because you saw what you saw and from that moment on you hate that player, you don't like them, you will always have a vendetta against that player and I think a lot of the times or a lot of the things that I've seen from the same people over and over and over again repeatedly regardless of the fact that Mendy, for example, has had two fantastic games over Christmas, as soon as that one mistake against Wolves happened, the same people that I've seen for months jump straight on the back of it and criticise him in the way that they criticised him earlier on in the season. And it isn't because of the mistake, it's because they don't like him. And it's as simple as that. And if somebody's got a problem with the player, I don't really see that you know that's ever going to disappear. You're never going to change somebody's mind if they've written a player off. 
Now, we're, we're talking a couple of days after the Wolves' defeat, and Mendy obviously made that mistake. Everybody can see that. He knows it himself that, that led to one of the goals. Could have just oofed it away somewhere, um, or could have gone down when he was touched and, and got a free kick, almost certainly. But the, the other criticism, <laughs> and we did have a discussion a couple of weeks ago about whether Pep is beyond criticism, was the, you know, the decision by Pep to take off Sergio Aguero as soon as Edison got sent off and to take off Kevin De Bruyne. Um, now, in retrospect, we can see what a great game he had against Sheffield United. <laughs> by the way, isn't he playing well at the moment? And that's another yeah. subject. But uh, he took him off. He also took off uh, Mares at half-time, brought on an extra defender, which seemed to encourage Wolves to go forward even more. So how do you, how do you judge what, what Pep has done, uh, certainly in that Wolves game? I think it... it... <sighs> It was, I just thought it was really defensive and negative in like the last half an hour. I think you mentioned Garcia came on, didn't he? Was it Mahrez, did you say, who took off? That move just seemed really defensive. I think we either won up or tuned up at that time. I don't think they, we conceded, but even if we had, I think that we needed we needed to just go forward again. You know, We know Pep's philosophy he says the best form of uh, defence is attack. And by him doing that, that sort of undermined his own philosophy and it sort of felt like he was backtracking and doing the things that he said he would never do, you know, never go against this philosophy, you know, we always go forward and we always go out to win the game. It was almost like a Jose Mourinho substitution that he's been criticised for, where it's like, OK, we, we're up, we need to defend now. And we need to realise that we're not a defensive team, we're not set up to be able to defend leads like that. A lot of other teams are. Jose Mourinho sets his teams up so that if they are ahead one or two goals, they can close it down. So Alex used to do it as well. They close the game down and it'd be done. If you conceded two against Man United, that was it. The game's over. Whereas Man City, we know that that's not the way we're set up. And particularly, we weren't set up to do that with Laporte and company playing the same team or Laporte and Stones playing great. Never mind now where it's not the most convincing back line. We bring in Garcia, really inexperienced and... It just looked like a really negative and wrong, in my opinion, decision to, to go so negative and invite that pressure because we knew we were, we looked a bit dead on our feet last 20 minutes, so perhaps that was something to do with it. But I just felt we needed to stay out and, and stay on top of the game as much as possible because it clearly didn't work in the end. So I, I agree 100% with Adam Ian to the extent of um, the fact that Pep may have gone against his own philosophy which is bang on that isn't the way that Pep thinks is it it's not the way that he's he's drilled it's not the way he drills the players but I think it, it was a one-off it was a one-off decision to do that I think that he felt that because Edison had been sent off and he maybe doesn't trust Bravo as much um, that Bravo needed a lot more protection than Edison would do for example especially with you know not that Wolves play these Sheffield United do but long balls in behind you know down the flanks, on the outside, lots of crosses coming in. I think he was basically, he went to a back five, I think, didn't he? Or, or a back three and, and wing backs just to try and nullify that, that that you know, wide wide player that Wolves would, would undoubtedly do. We did that yesterday um, as well, if you notice. We, went, we had three, Yeah, we did. Rodri dropped in to make it a back three with wing backs yesterday when we were when we were tuning up. So that was, that was quite defensive. Well, actually, yeah. actually, when we were tuning up, it happened before, before we yeah, scored. Before, really? Um, okay. and, and I thought as soon as that happened at the beginning of the second half that Rodri dropped into the mm. centre of a back three with Fernandinho and Garcia either side of him which yes released the full backs forward and one of the people who talked to me on the podcast after, on the vlog sorry afterwards said uh, I love the way he was playing Kyle Walker as a, as a winger 
Uh, but I actually thought the significance of that was that suddenly Fernandinho had yeah. a little bit more license to to move into more you know positive positions. And I don't know if it's my imagination or not, and nobody else may have noticed this. But in the first half, I thought I noticed a bit of a. When I say argument, that's probably overstating it, but a heated discussion between Fernandinho and Rodri. And it felt to me as if Fernandinho was a little frustrated that Rodri wasn't being more positive when he had the ball. Now, Rodri did one fantastic through ball that everybody will remember in that game. And I thought, wow, that's great. So this is not an assault on Rodri. Um, But I think in general... Uh, open play, I still feel that he slows things down. Where as soon as Fernandinho was more advanced, that 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 changed, and I felt that was a difference in the second half. Well, that's something that I wanted to talk about as well. Ian, that I just think that Rodri's height gives us a great advantage as well at the back as well. The fact that he's very composed and a bit deeper, I think he'd be magnificent for us. Um, Fernandinho, yes, he gives us a lot of energy in midfield, and I did actually notice what you're talking about, and I've noticed it a few times this season where there's been a bit of a disagreement, if you want to call it that, between the two of them, because it must be frustrating to be a holding midfielder. 34 years old, lots of experience in different leagues, to be seeing a young 23-year-old lad in front of you not doing what you know he should be doing, it must get annoying, it must get frustrating because you want to do both jobs. You want to be a centre-half because Pep's asked you to be and I'm, I'm sure he wants to be a holding midfielder as well because that's what he's known for and that's what he's the best at. But um, with regards to what Adam said then, I agree, it was a back five in theory yesterday. I just think the difference was that the fullbacks were still told that they were allowed to go forward, be positive, be more attacking. Whereas against Wolves, they looked pemmed in, they looked they looked pegged back, they looked like they were told to be, like you said, Adam, very defensive and literally just nullify Wolves and stop them from 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 doing anything. Unfortunately, Mendy's mistake allowed them in, made Otamendi and Fernandinho very shaky and vulnerable. And yet again, Doherty scored the goal, cutting in on that right-hand side, Mendy's side, and, and scored the goal. But it looked against Wolves like Mendy was playing as like a, a left centre-half. Uh, because was it Bernardo that was playing as a left wing-back in that game, if you want to call it that, or a left-back, believe it or not? Uh, I mean, what Pep does with players is unbelievable. Bernardo, a left-back, unbelievable. Sometimes, but... sometimes we film the podcast and put little extracts up, and uh, today isn't one of those days. Uh, but I wish you could see the, the face of Tony as he's been listening because I feel like he's a bit of a coiled spring here and doesn't necessarily agree with some of what he's been hearing. So I'm now going to unleash you, Tony. <laughs> well, when it comes to Pep, um, best manager we've ever had. So no arguments I'm never that. I'm never going to say I know better than Pep because I clearly don't. I think there's two times that I've seen Pep go against what we all would see as his philosophy of possession football, attacking football. Um, One was last season in the Champions League away against Spurs, where it seemed like we set up for the draw and to do them at home. They obviously got that goal that then cost us on away goals. Um, It cost us then. And then the other time was the uh, last week against Wolves. Uh, And again, I think it cost us because we were too defensive. But at the same time, down to 10 men, He's managing the game that's in front of him, so can you be too critical? Because you know, if we if he didn't do that, would it have still been three two anyway? 
Um, the way Wolves were coming at us, it was only a matter of time before a goal came. And I think regardless of whether Mendy made a mistake or not, the goal would have come. Um, unfortunately, I just don't have that confidence with us at the back. And more than the win yesterday, it was the clean sheet that I was happy with. Obviously, great three points, but at the same time, I was more happy with the win. Um, in terms of the red card that Harlan mentioned earlier is with uh, Edison, um, it's a red card, as regardless of whether the player played for it or not. If that was Sergio, it's a red card. Um, and when it comes to Rodri and Fernandinho, um, Rodri's been great for me this season. Um, he gets a lot of slack, but that's because he's trying to replace Fernandinho. Um, on that tweet you put out earlier about um, topics for tonight, someone mentioned Sergio's replacement. And again, we're going to have the same thing with Sergio. Whoever comes in could be the next Sergio, but as soon as he comes in for that season and those two seasons, he's not as good as Sergio. He's not going to be that good. And we're always going to compare. And that's part of the problem with Rodri is we're comparing him to Fernandinho. And as we've said before in this podcast, this is Rodri's first season. It takes players a bit of a, usually one season to get, adapt to Pep. And for me, I think over the last three or four games or over the last month at least we've started to see Rodri develop a lot better and him do some killer passes like and I think this was one you mentioned uh, earlier was yesterday's uh, pass to Mahrez in about the 15th 16th minute or something like that um, and for me Mahrez should have squared it to Aguero at that point rather than take the shot and this goes back to my criticism of Mahrez in terms of I think personally he's still got that Leicester mentality of I carry this team on my shoulder so I'm always going to go for a goal whereas with us it's a team game in that sense so he should have squared it there and that's kind of going back to what Harlan was saying about when you've got an opinion of a player and things like that and that's one of my critiques of Mahrez even once he's had his best game I'll still pick out kind of those uh, selfish moments he's had um, that's not because I don't think he's a good player I just think he can improve and whether that's just me being too critical I don't know but when it comes to um, Rodri, I think he's been doing a lot better. Fernandinho did you know, well when he stepped up, but can he do that every two slash three days at the age of 34 and control and run up and down the midfield? I don't think he can, and that's why I think Pep preferred him as the centre-half, just because he doesn't have those legs to do it every three days. Um, and I saw Pep's post-match uh, conference where he said that the only reason Rodri hasn't done there is because he's not had time to um, practice and train with him at centre-back and learn the movements that he expects of centre-backs and that's why Fernandinho is there so whether we'll see this change in the new year uh-huh. maybe yeah. So on the sorry, just on the Rodri point then. Obviously, you you agree that he's not as good as Fernandinho yeah. in midfield at the moment. So then, do you that do you not feel that it's it should be a criticism of Guardiola, the fact that we've somehow prioritised putting him in midfield over Fernandinho when like you say when if Aguero was if if we had an Aguero replacement right now I wouldn't, play, be, I wouldn't be playing I wouldn't be playing the Aguero replacement over Aguero for but, these two years you've got to let that you've got to let that transition happen so that Fernandinho is the first choice until the other person mm. is as good or, and and if not better than that than that the, but the we've not had that luxury position. though that's the problem with this year because of injuries we've not got that luxury so is it a case of putting Rodri at the back let him make more mistakes than Fernandinho might because it's not his natural position and then there's a new player coming in with a slightly higher price tag making mistakes fans are going to get on his back and then from next season if he is back in centre half everyone's got that preconception of him as mistake ridden and don't like him and whatever else and that's where we can only give our opinions and we can only just trust that Pep has seen them on the you know the training pitch day in, day out and thinks that Fernandinho is a better centre-back. That's all I, I put I, it down I per- to. I mean, sorry, Adam. I, I, I personally believe that, that if Laporte never got injured, 
Rodri would have played almost every game in that holding midfield role and Fernandinho would have been warming the bench. There is no doubt about it in my mind that Rodri was the starter in that holding midfield role from the very first game at West Ham right up to this moment in time. Now, Fernandinho probably would have played a, a handful, not even a handful, again, four games, maybe made four starts in, in the big games against Liverpool, maybe United because he'd have been fitter and he'd have been able to cope with it. I personally think that Pep prefers Rodri over Fernandinho in midfield and, and, and that would be the same if Laporte was fit. And do you think that's wrong, sorry? Do I think that's, that's do that, dead wrong because I agree with you, Adam, 100%. I personally think that I wouldn't do what you said and, and play the Aguero replacement instead of Sergio Aguero. I think that Rodri would have learned a lot more about how Pep wants him to play if he could study or would have been studying Fernandinho from the stands, being able to be rotated with him and come in and then try and replicate what he's seen. A teacher teaches the students what they need to do, then they put it into action. I personally to believe that Fernandinho has not been able to teach Rodri because Rodri hasn't been able to study and sit there and watch. That's because though Fernandinho is not the teacher, Pep is and I disagree with that because for me I think that when you're playing every three days there would be no chance in hell that Pep would have said it's Rodri, Rodri, Rodri. He would have wanted to keep fresh legs and that's one thing we can go guarantee with Pep is that if we had a fully fit squad from week to week we wouldn't know what the squad would be uh, the starting 11 because it was always about rotation over the last two seasons. This season slightly different because he's not had those options and I think Rodri and Fernandinho were his options going in it was going to be a case of once the Champions League kicked in they were going to get rotated the same way he usually does with the wingers when we've got them all fully fit um, and in the sense with David Foden and Bernardo so personally I think that in terms of that holding midfielder role if we had a fully fit squad they would have interchanged between the two of them like we have seen in other positions thing is Tone I think if that was the case and they were rotating I think that without a doubt in my mind in the rotation or sorry on that rotation say Rodri played three games and then he decided to put Fernandinho in for the rotation. I personally believe that Fernandinho, in, in that moment in time, would put Rodri out of a position for at least the next three or four weeks until the next rotation came round. Fernandinho would go straight back in that side after three games out and guarantee that spot for the foreseeable And that's me. why he does it, though. That's why he but does it. That, so that is that. exactly what would happen. There's no way Rodri would be keeping that spot after Fernandinho. And, and, and actually, that's what's happened with Kyle Walker and Cancelo, yeah. isn't it? I mean, there are rumours that Cancelo... I say rumours, I don't want to spread rumours. Somebody pointed out to me that they believe there was a rumour, so it may be completely false, so maybe I shouldn't be giving it any credibility, but that Cancelo is not happy, which maybe he isn't because he's not playing regularly. He's been brought in for a lot of money in the <laughs> summer and got a start or two at the beginning, and now suddenly Carl Walker, ever since his spelling goal in Italy, has, has held down that right-back position pretty much every game, and actually... I know Adam might disagree with this, <laughs> yeah. but actually I think he's been playing pretty well. Yeah. So Cancelo hasn't got a chance to come in. Uh, now you can debate, you can open, reopen the debate on Cancelo versus Walker <laughs> if you want, but the, I'm, I'm only bringing that in really as part of what you're saying about Rodri but, and, and Fernandinho. But that rumour was doing the rounds in Bernardo's first season when he was hardly played in De Bruyne. Were at Barcelona, this, uh, um, Barcelona, Bernardo. No, for uh, Bernardo Silva when he was with us in his first season, um, and he well, was. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Weren't they talking about the Barcelona move at the end of the season? Oh right, yeah, he might be going. Sorry, I was yeah. confused. No, I, was I, was I think before you meant a player Bernardo at Barcelona. No, 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 no. about? But no, yeah. So there was rumours going about because he wasn't. You know, they were saying he weren't happy, wasn't getting his play time, and then you know, obviously De Bruyne got injured, and he got all the time in the world. So again, I think it is part of Pep blooding them into his system and his style, and this is why I think between Rodri and Fernandinho, if we had the luxury that we could rotate them, then who 
whoever was in form will be playing at that point until the legs can't run anymore and then he switches it back around and that's the same for me with Cancelo and Walker Alright let me give some credit where credit is due uh, Tarek Pol Yakovic was the person who uh, who said the social media abuse of our players mm. after a loss is a subject he wanted us to discuss. I think we've done that. I think it's getting out of hand, he says. I'm afraid that we're turning into Liverpool or Arsenal fans. We're not far away from death threats, uh, wishes to our own uh, on our own players, and it's just wrong. So, Tarek, thanks very much. I think we've discussed that one, but thanks for, for bringing that up. Who will replace Sergio, says Somerset Blue. Another legend and impossible to replace. Can we answer that? Can, can I, I can. Oh, I knew, I knew that one. Yeah, go on. I can. I can. Latoro Martinez, Inter Milan. Uh, forget the fact that it's Serie A and it's Italy and all that. that I think I think they, them, them, them old-fashioned views of the fact that Italy's very slow and all that can be blown out of the water now. I think if you can do it in one league, you can do it in another. Not every player. It's down to the player, not the league. Um, he's Argentinian. He's young. Sergio spoke very highly of him. Uh, we've been linked with him since, since I... I'm not saying I'm a fortune teller, but I actually said that we should sign him months ago. Then the rumours started coming that we're interested in him or that we link with him. And I started to think, yes, get in there. He's the player I want. He's Argentinian, young. He plays with Aguero in the national team. He's built like him. He's the same mould as him. And he reminds me exactly of what Aguero reminded me of when I first saw him at 20-year-old. So, yeah, 100% him. He'd be one of mine. It's I, a bit I, of a loaded question, though, isn't it? Because that's then assuming that Jesus isn't his natural placement. So are we all going on that assumption? Steve Butterworth that, yeah, says, no, has Jesus got a long-term feature at no. City? There you go. That was number one. No, that's number. Yeah, okay. I mean, to be honest, that's quite I, damning, I isn't anyway, it, to say yeah, that? I'm not, I'm not the man. That's yeah. quite damning to say that. I, I just well at the moment I don't. Th- I think that we do need we do need a person in between Aguero and Jesus. You know, if Jesus is the man, I don't think he's ready yet. So if Aguero goes end of his contract, it's next season, isn't it? So he's got mm-hmm. one more season left. At the minute, as I, as from what I've seen, I don't see Jesus mm-hmm. has be, as being good enough to be as good as Aguero has been over the last few years. I want someone <coughs> to take over when Aguero leaves. I want someone to be as as good as. Aguero. I know it's difficult and he's been unbelievable, but there are players that are looking like they could become that. You know, Harry Kane, <coughs> Mbappe, they're going to cost transition. an absolute fortune. I want a transition. That's, I don't want to be waiting around for a lad to be doing great. You know, we, we're waiting for Jesus. That's okay. We've got someone to build up there and see if he's going to be good enough. But if we want an Aguero replacement, they've got to be the best strikers in the world. We've got to be going out. We're Manchester City now. We, we should be putting the big money out there. We should be like Real Madrid. We look at the best players in the world and we go, right, let's go in for them. We've not done that yet. We've never bought a world-class talent at the time. Aguero's probably the highest profile we had because he was he was doing really well at the time. Atletico Madrid scored a load of goals, but he was also quite young, really young. Um, I think we've got to go out and buy a 26, 27-year-old striker, get him in. Top of his game, Harry Kane and Mbappe, something like that for me. It's got I, love, to be done. I love the fact that uh, we're in the festive period as we record this, and we're calling him quite openly now Jesus, whereas <laughs> before it used to be Jesus and Jesus, <laughs> but it seems to have just morphed now into Jesus. Jesus. Ah, Jesus, it's Christmas. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, with Jesus, um, I do prefer him out on the left. Um, yeah. So against uh, Arsenal, it was the game. Um, 
where it was Sterling, Jesus and Bruyne and they were just interchanging um, as the front three generally do. Um, we see it less with Aguero and that's because Aguero is just that out-and-out goal scorer but I thought he was more effective on the left and was the <coughs> outlet for one of the goals in terms of the cross through to De Bruyne. So I do prefer him on the left. Um, the thing with Sergio that's near enough impossible to replicate is just that natural goal scoring ability. So we'll, you know, we all know 93-20 in that sense then. That's there's right. very few exactly yeah that, that was only that. Sergio would have put that exactly. away exactly from that angle there was only Sergio in my eyes that could have put that away um, over the years gone by I might have said maybe Drogba at Chelsea could have done something like that um, can Kane not do that Harry Kane can do that no, exactly. that's that's goal. Goal. I don't like that though no, no. see mustard, for it? me Harry Kane would have five shots before he gets that one whereas Sergio it's every shot he would get that and for me Sergio's just a natural born striker that's just within him whereas I see Kane more as um, a trained striker and he's learnt his position and he's learnt whereas Sergio just instinctively knows and I think that was one of the issues Pep had when he first came was to try and put a bit more tactical nails in him to say well actually that's just in you naturally now let's team that up with my knowledge and that's yeah. when the rumours were going about oh he's not happy with Sergio this that and the other but I think realistically it was just then saying well actually if you do this you will go to that next level now this isn't uh, the only person who said this but Dame or Dame I don't know how you pronounce it uh, on Twitter said the future of the left back position needs to be discussed, discussed and the January window now you've talked about January activity already um, and we on the podcast have, has, and, and certainly I've said, I wonder if FFP is actually in the background somewhere holding up City, going out and spending the money that is perceived to be unending uh, from the owners, but nevertheless is being restricted. We don't know. I don't know for sure, though I keep hearing different versions of this, whether UEFA are still investigating, whether there is still a possibility of a Champions League ban. Um and whether privately um, UEFA have been saying, and this is just me making stuff up now, I'm just trying to guess what's happening because nobody really knows, but are UEFA saying, listen, okay, we might not pursue this as aggressively as we might do, but if you suddenly go out and spend a lot of money, then that throws a different light on it. Um, and City have thought, right, okay, well, we'll just work within our means for a while here and then this will all go away. Is that why City are not going out spending a lot of money? And what about the left-back more specifically? Are you happy with the alternatives? There are yeah. three at the moment, um, but, but clearly the Dame or Dame, yeah, sorry I've um, got your name wrong there, but you know, so, he's un clearly not happy, is he? So first of all, I'd like to, hear, I'd like to have some clarity from Guardiola in conferences about the January transfer window. He says, oh, we're not going to sign you, we're not going to sign anyone. It'd be nice to hear... Why? So I'd like, if, if the financial fair play might be an issue, we don't have to say, oh, we're going to get fined because we'd, we'd probably like to keep that on the wraps at the minute. You don't want to you know, be too negative about it. But it'd be nice for them to say, listen, there's this hanging over us. That might, that might stop us. I'd love to bring some players in because we're not looking, you know, we're not the best. Yeah, but yeah. Because, but it, it seems at the minute, and it frustrates me in conferences, it almost seems like we feel like everything's okay. <laughs> it's almost like from the, the way Guardiola sort of brushed it off, like, oh, no, no signings in January. That makes you feel like we're sort of mm. writing off the season. And it's like, well, what's the point then if we're just going to go oh we'll wait till summer no, I'd just like to hear something if it is FFP I would like 
for us to hear that that is a factor in it. But in terms of left back, I think we need to go out and sign someone. Uh, I don't think Zinchenko is good enough. He was good last year. Like Delph had a good season. Yeah, great. Not 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 world class standard. Nowhere near good enough to be our first choice. Um, Angelino, I thought he played well a couple of times when he first when he first started playing for us at the start of the season. But he's not really looked great. He can't defend for Toffee. Um, he's he's good going forward. Can whip a ball in just like Mendy, but he's no good. Mendy, um, he's he, again. He has his good games. He played brilliantly against Leicester. It's probably the best game he's had in the City shirt. I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. But you can't rely on him. His injuries uh, and also his inconsistent as well. well. We'll see what he's going to be like. But I'd certainly, I'd certainly keep him around. But just him isn't good enough anyway. You need two world class players for every position. So certainly that is that and a centre half is certainly my priority. It will be my priority in January, but. If there is issues with spending, that type of stuff, then, of course, that'll move on to summer. There is one other little issue that's sort of hanging around, and I uh, can't remember if somebody did actually mention this on Twitter, and if you did, then this is for you. But the, certainly they've said it on, on when I've been talking to people about uh, the matches on the vlog. Um, there is, uh, rightly or wrongly, uncertainty about the future of Pep Guardiola. Um, some people think that's being stirred up by the media, uh, and it's just completely untrue. But whichever way you look at it, the fact is that uh, he's got 18 months or so left on his contract. And he says things like when he's saying, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy here. And uh, if the club want me and it'll all be judged on results. And, you know, if they come to me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd like to stay here longer. Um, but it, it, it all it feels a little uncertain at the moment. And I wonder if that is a factor in in rebuilding because let's just say if Pep uh, was planning to go at the end of this season then that might go some way to explaining why January is not the month that he wants to or the club wants to go out and spend money because it, they might be thinking well if Pep goes and signs players now then the new manager might not want those players there is certainly, I feel, a growing feeling amongst some City fans, let's not overgeneralise, that they want the future of Pep Guardiola sorting out. And the, I remember there towards was a the end of the vlog, wasn't it, yesterday? Yeah, and I remember towards the end of Kevin Keegan's reign, he signed a five-year contract when he came to City, and, uh, and, he, and he said, I'm, I'm going to be here for five years. And that was fine. Three and a half years into that contract there started to be questions come from the media. Are you signing a new contract? Are you signing a new contract? He obviously decided that he, what he wanted to do was to see out the exact five years and then go. But he wasn't allowed to do that because he was hounded and pressured and eventually walked away. And I wonder whether we're seeing the same thing happening here with Hope Pep. not. We ended up with Stuart Pearce then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well, we might use again or what? Um, I'm only throwing these things no, out. No, well, I mean... <clears throat> Just to go over one, one thing that Adam said there, I do remember in a post uh, pre-match press conference, you might be able to be a bit more specific, when he was asked about um, a signing of another club and he said, we can't compete, and he was alluding to FFP then. When it comes to January transfer window, unless there's an absolute bargain out there, we very rarely buy in January. The, only reason, the, uh, the only reason we signed Laporte in the well, January transfer <coughs> were the... Um, Is that a good example, that one, Minimum Adam? fee release example. clause. No, well, it was a minimum fee release clause with Laporte because it was going up at the end of the yes, season, so they wanted to get it early. Otherwise, I don't think we would have signed him in January. Um, so I think there's you know, exceptional circumstances that means when we do buy somebody in January. But realistically, um, I can't see 
anybody that's decent out there that we will be able to get in January. Other than, like I say, Laporte, where it was a um, minimum fee he had in his contract and that was legally. If that wasn't there, I don't think um, Atletico would have sold him at that point because he was so crucial. And that's the same with any top player across the world now, is their teams aren't going to want to let him go in January unless it's at a hefty fee. Does it not depend but, on who you define as a great player? Because Nathan Ake, for example, has been a player that's been linked with City. If City go and slap down 50 million quid or something to Bournemouth, Bournemouth are going to snap their hands off and he's not well, Champions League Cup tied or anything like that. Would they? Because but it's whether you define Nathan Ake as a player that uh, that you would want. Because I would have said the same thing about Maguire with United. So when they slapped 50-odd million down, Leicester would have just snapped their hand off. They didn't. They were no, we want 70 plus. So I don't know necessarily that's, that is going to be the case. But um, just touching on what you said about Pep as well there, I don't think that's an issue because, again, in terms of how the club operate before Pep, with Pep and after Pep, um, Caldoun in one of his post-match, uh, post-match, post-season conference uh, interviews that he does said, we have a structure in place that the director of football thinks five years, the CEO thinks ten years, and the manager just thinks this season. And I think that's going to be the case even with or without Pep, is that it's Cheeky and Soriano that are identifying targets and going out there and looking, regardless of whoever the manager is, because... Pep was brought in to be our Cruyff. He's brought in to set a style, and the owners want this style now to now be his legacy. And that's no matter who we get coming in the next um, as the next manager, they're going to be told this is the style we want. We want attacking football, mm-hmm. and we've made sure you've got the players for it. So I don't think necessarily Pep's part of the issue in that one. I don't know if anybody noticed yesterday, Ian, but uh, we actually signed a player over the last couple of weeks. Uh, his name's Eric Garcia, and uh, we signed him, and he's a centre half, and. Um, I think he solves the problem that we've had until Laporte gets back, to be honest with you. And even beyond that, um, really astute, really good. I'm not a massive stats fan, but his stats are outrageous for that game. Um, I think I worked out that almost every single pass that he played was a first touch, um, which is outstanding for somebody of that age. I think he's nearly 19 and he saw... I saw him in the Youth Cup last year, thought he was outstanding. Saw him in that um, other EDS game as well, thought he was outstanding with Taylor, uh, who as well is another outstanding young footballer. Um, the way we finished the game yesterday, going back to what we said, uh, Fernandinho was in midfield, if you want to call it that. Rodri was in between Garcia um, as well at the back, obviously in a back three, if you want to call it that. And I just personally think that we could we could get the best out of Mendy and Cancelo. Obviously, I'm not trying to make out I'm a genius or anything, but I saw Mendy at his best at Monaco in a 3-5-2. Sadibi, his, his, his partner in crime on the right-hand side for Monaco, 3-5-2. He's now gone to Everton. He's playing right wing-back for Everton. He's whipped, I think it's four crosses in this season that have all ended up in Calvert-Lewin goals. He's getting in behind. He's doing exactly what we expected Mendy to be doing for Everton. What I'm basically trying to say is Mendy isn't playing in his best position. We haven't seen the best of Benjamin Mendy yet because the best Benjamin Mendy plays in a 3-5-2 as an attacking wing-back without having to do too much defending. That might sound mad for people, but that's the same goes for Kyle Walker. I understand why Adam doesn't like Walker, because Pace has saved Kyle Walker in his career. He's not an outstanding football player. Without Pace, Kyle Walker would probably still be at Sheffield United. But to be honest with you, he's, he's, he's very good at going forward. We mentioned Pace there, and I'm, I'm only going to put the other side of the argument. That's, that's what I'm here for, right? Um, I thought I agree with you. I think Garcia is a beautiful footballer, plays plays beautiful football at the back. And in a perfect Pep team, the way it has been through the two years of all the success and winning all the, all the leagues and all the trophies, um, City have relied on that footballing ability at the back, in fact, throughout the whole 11, to create this unbelievably magic football that we've all been privileged to watch. However... 
just recently, teams seem to have learned a different way of playing against us. And rather than try to play through us, uh, United, obviously, were a good example. Wolves at home, particularly. Um, even Sheffield United, to some extent, yesterday, were hitting long balls, bypassing midfield. And as soon as they did that, the lack of pace of Eric Garcia, who I am a big fan of, was exposed because on, I think, at least two occasions, he was outpaced by an attacker. Now, nothing came from it in the end, but that would, to me, be a little bit of a concern. So the bigger question is, have we, as a team, got a problem with a lack of pace? Not necessarily with Garcia. I think Garcia, in terms of yesterday's performance, um, can be trained into him in terms of positioning um, because you don't need to be the quickest player in the world if you've got, you know, if, if you're in the right position when the attackers are coming at you and that side of it. So I think with time, we'll see with Garcia. I think it's too early to say one way or another, but um, give him a chance and we'll see what he does in that sense. Um, I think he. Hallelujah to that. So <laughs> let, let, let's draw a line on it, because I don't want to make this sound negative. Then there are the a couple other... of positives that I want to accentuate. I'm sorry to talk over you, Tony, That's but I'm right. going to shut you up at that point, right? There's two other things that I want to, to talk about. Pep Guardiola, first quickest manager ever to reach 100 Premier League victories, Not an achievement. which is unbelievable. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he's the best manager that the club's ever had, possibly the Premier League's ever had. And as much as we might talk about, did he do this wrong? And, and the, the guy is a genius. And 100%. I have been privileged to be able to sit and watch a team that he has selected. And as well as talking about him, <clears throat> just recently we've been seeing the very, very, very best of Kevin De Bruyne, who is almost, and almost, in a way, this is a also a negative question, but I don't mean it to be, it feels as if he's dragging City along on his back at the moment. He's winning games single-handedly, scoring a goal, he's setting things up, which is great to watch because he is a fantastic individual player and thank goodness that City have got him. But also, is that a potential weakness? Because if something happens to Kevin, is the team suddenly mm. going to go backwards significantly because the, the team at its peak wasn't reliant on anyone. In fact, one of the seasons... Kevin De Bruyne didn't even play that many games because he had injury and it didn't affect us. It feels to me as if City would be more affected by the loss of Kevin De Bruyne if it happened this season than they might have been previously. Yeah, if we, I feel like if we were to lose De Bruyne now, it would be a lot more of a... It'd be, it'd be worse than it was last season because last season he hardly played, did he, let's be honest, in the Premier League. Um, but... Yeah, I, I just feel like it, it would be, it'd be an absolute disaster for to lose him at the minute. But it, would, it perhaps would mean that other players would need to step up because it probably looked, before before the De Bruyne injury last season, it looked like it would be a disaster. But then it turned out that we found goals from elsewhere. And Pep teams have goals from all over the pitch. You know, you look, last season, you know, Sane got over, 10, got over 10 goals in the league. Sterling got over 10 goals in the league. Aguero got over 10 goals in the league. That's over 20 goals in the league. So that... You were getting goals from absolutely everywhere and assists from absolutely everywhere. Same in the first season where Sane and De Bruyne, oh, the second season when we won the league by 100 points, when Sane and De Bruyne were, were fighting out for the top assists. And it was unbelievable. We seemed to have yeah. uh, players filling the top scorer charts and filling the assist charts. It was absolutely unbelievable. And it, it feels like at the minute, we're not getting goals from enough areas of the pitch and not enough people are contributing enough. And it seems like it's... It's De Bruyne dragging, like you say, dragging everyone up. I feel like it could be a massive issue. But if it was to happen, then 
you, you you could see other people maybe stepping up because you know we have got the quality in the ranks. But if I was to predict whether it would be a massive massive loss, of course, yeah, it'd be massive, wouldn't the, it? Yeah, the sh- the shackles are off with De Bruyne, aren't they? Like he's been let free, like he's he's all over the shop. Um, you know, but I think that's 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 every player in the squad at the moment. I think I think everybody's just filling in and doing whatever they can to try and get through games. Sergio Aguero opened Zinchenko out yesterday, left back, unbelievable. But that's workhorse mentality, isn't it? And I think Kevin Kevin in that free role where he's just allowed to drift and do whatever he wants to do and and just create and be an artist, which he is, and waft his paintbrush around on pitch at the Etihad. That's exactly what you want to see him doing home and away as well. Um, I do agree with Adam to an extent as well. I think there's is there a correlation between the fact that the better Kevin's playing, the worse Bernardo's playing. I don't really know. Obviously, whether Bernardo being on the right or being in the centre, it doesn't matter where he is. It maybe seems that he's having a bit less ball. He's he's playing well. I love Bernardo. He's, he's playing as well as he can play. But De Bruyne is maybe taking the shine off him a bit because of how well he's playing. He can't do anything about that. That's just Kevin being Kevin. But I do believe that if Kevin was to get injured, which I don't want to happen, obviously touch wood, uh, Bernardo would step up and he would he would be that workhorse. He would carry the can and he would he would try and uh, maybe um, you know carry carry the torch for the team. But I agree that Kevin's carrying us. Um, it's just about maybe trying to get Bernardo on the ball a bit more as well and and maybe have two world class attacking midfielders pulling the strings and then them goals will come. Thank God he's in the middle, by the way. Sorry, forgot to mention. Because we've been calling for Bernardo to be pulled off the wing mm. and into the middle, I have anyway, for weeks and weeks. Because I wanted to see Mares. Mares is a, is a wide man. Play him out there. And Bernardo is a central right. midfielder. You look at the work the work rate that he got work rate that he got through last season and he's, he's he's so much better in the middle. He's looked better in the middle. And I'm so glad that Guardiola's finally for some reason realised what we've been saying yeah. for weeks really two more subjects I want to conclude this podcast with uh, both of them probably deserve longer than the amount of time we're going to give them so the first one I'll make it relatively brief even though lots of people have asked us to talk about it um, I think it's a better subject to be discussed when I've got the City Matters committee with me on the podcast next week but obviously the Derby ticket allocation um, is different than it normally would be for a cup tie where I think it's 50 percent for a League Cup tie, 20% for an FA Cup tie. So you would imagine at, at Old Trafford, 76,000 attendants, uh, that you're looking at, at least 8,000 uh, for, for that. Um, and instead, it's going to be three. Uh, it's going to also be 3,000 or so for their fans at the Etihad for the second leg. It appears that that's been a, a, a situation that's been driven forward by the police, possibly because of the incident at the last derby. Um, object coming onto the pitch and um, you know racial uh, abuse from from I think it was an individual um, and so maybe they're concerned about that. Um, it, one of the biggest problems, and this is something we'll discuss better next week, is whether there was any real consultation with the City Matters Committee uh, or the Supporters Club, and the same might be said about the United equivalents. Uh, but how, how do you feel um, about this? I mean, all you can really do on this podcast, um, I assume anyway, is just give your opinions on what's happened rather than the detail of it, which will be better suited yeah. to next week's discussion. Yeah, so we, we heard that the official supporters club weren't, the statement that they put out, they weren't consulted. They, in that statement, they also said the City Matters um, people weren't consulted and people on Twitter who were involved in the supporters club also said that it was the same on the United side their supporters club their their system also wasn't consulted on which I think is really really poor um, but I also think that it's a sign of the times at the minute because we've 
too many times recently in football games have we had instances like this, things being thrown on the pitch, racial slurs being caught, caught or even just done in the first place, of course. Uh, and that has just put a really negative... It, it, the police must look at it and think, right, we need to make sure, we need to try and stop all this going on, do do everything that we can to stop this. But I think it's it's about the fans now. It's about making sure that if you if you hear any of that type of stuff, racial slurs, anything like that, or anyone throwing stuff on the pitch, yeah, we've got to make sure that we sort that out. Otherwise, more of this is going to happen. We're gonna we're gonna stop getting big allocations. We're gonna stop. You know, they'll end up stopping fans. Are we fans going at all if we carry on the way we are? Uh, some people. So we just got to make sure that we police ourselves. So uh, you just think better. it's an inevitable consequence of it's, trouble? Yeah. yeah, it's 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 sad. Uh, it shouldn't happen, but it is going to happen if things like that. If if, if things are getting thrown on the pitch. Then they're going to stop fans. They're going to stop away fans going for a start. Well, it's collective punishment. I mean, we saw it against Wolves when they were throwing stuff at the uh, players uh, the other night, and it's come crept and crept more into the game now. And it's easier for them to just ban swathes of them than have to deal with it individually. But realistically, the main issue here is a fans weren't consulted. I mean, I've been a lot of uh, football fans have been banging on about this since the nineties, but um, fans just aren't the core concern of. Um, the leagues and the football competitions anymore. It is about TVs um, and internationals. For example, yesterday's game at six o'clock kickoff was it even on TV in the UK um, and made it even more difficult for home fans to get to the game at six o'clock and with other Sunday commitments, obviously, and things like that. So fans are at the bottom of the pecking order. So it doesn't surprise me that they weren't consulted. I think part of the problem, though, is, and this is what will be interesting with City Matters when you uh, have your chat with them in the new year, is we as a club, and all clubs do this, but we have the absolute minimum for safety in terms of stewards. We have the absolute minimum for safety in terms of police, and that's set by the police in terms of their regulations. And it's like anything, it's a minimum. So that's the bottom amount that they need. So rather than kind of spending money and the club spending their money in terms of hiring more stewards, making sure there's enough police there, it's easy enough just to say, well, hang on, if we get rid of 2,000 of them, then at least in that way, we don't have to worry about that 2,000 and we're keeping costs down. And a lot of of it does come down to them seeing it as well we don't want to spend any more on match days so what can we do let's reduce the fans and all we're going to see is more trouble because I've already seen on social media in terms of United fans in the home end and vice versa and you know City fans trying to get tickets in home ends and things like that and that is inevitably just going to end up with <laughs> fights in the ground which they're trying to avoid in the first place so it's daft if you ask me and it was, it was it was sorry sorry <coughs> it, it was disgusting my head as well and if you were one of them fans that are listening to the podcast at home right now that was kicking off with other city fans as well believe it or not or those Manchester United fans you know I appreciate that they've they've done your head in they've celebrated a goal they've they've wound you up they've probably got in the home end because like Tony said then they couldn't get a ticket in their end that's probably gonna be the same for the cup games but you need to not only self-police with regards to uh, the racial slurs and whatnot, you also need to self-police with regards to your behaviour at football matches because that will also be reprimanded if it carries on. You know, fans, City fans fighting each other because of the fact that, you know, uh, a United goal's been scored. It, it, you know, we're going to have disagreements, but let's just kind of stick together and get behind our players and not worry about what's going on. I mean, half the ground in that derby the other week was turning around watching the fight and not concentrating on what was happening on the pitch, I mean, we don't buy tickets to watch boxing matches. We buy tickets to watch football matches. So I think the fans, if you were one of them fans, just behave yourself in a football stadium. Otherwise, we'll get reprimanded for it. Much more on that uh, question, that subject next week. The final 
one I want to bring in is VAR, but not in the way that I would normally do it, because we've discussed VAR before. We'll discuss it again, the fine margins and all this sort of stuff. It's, it's more um, the backlash that I'm sensing now, an in, a growing backlash. Whether it'll ever be turned into action remains to be seen. But, you know, at Wolves, um, when uh, their goal was disallowed, um, not only were the Wolves fans sort of singing, you know, anti-VAR songs, but actually within the City section there were people singing the same thing, even though the decision had gone City's way. Um, and, and there's been so many incidents over the Christmas period um, of, of matches of other teams. And as I said, I don't want to go into the specifics of it, but I just wanted to bring up the subject of hearing crowds on TV and in stadiums now en masse um, saying, you know, get rid of it, we don't want it, and it's ruining our game. And more and more people saying to me, uh, I, I'm, this, that's it for me, I'm done, I'm going. Now... I know that people we've, we've mentioned that type of subject before on the podcast and people have ridiculed that and said, well, if they want to go, let them go. Somebody will replace them. Uh, and maybe that's the case. Maybe that's not the case. But what is unavoidable is that there is a growing mass feeling against VAR, whether you personally agree with it or not. Well, when you mentioned that, I've just brought up a tweet that Gary Lineker put out yesterday, out of interest, what is your view? And the two options were pro-VAR against VAR. The reason I brought this up is that over 390,000 people voted on this, so it's a good kind of broad base to do. And 29% were pro-VAR, 71% against VAR, out of 300,000. 80, uh, sorry, 390,816 votes. So obviously 70% uh, against it shows kind of the overwhelming feeling there across all football fans. So it's not just looking at City fans there. Um, and I think with a lot of people, even when you look at the comments, if you go back to that tweet, um, a lot of people are saying when it came in, they were pro-VAR, <coughs> how it's been implemented has made them against VAR. And that seems to be the consensus across board. And that's where now more and more people are going, well, let's just scrap it because it's clear that the experiment's not working. Now, in my mind, I don't think... The Premier League's um, refereeing association and all the rest of it, they don't have the humility to admit mistakes and hold their hands up. It's always double down with them. So in, in my opinion, is it's only going to get worse rather than better, unfortunately, going into next season. Some people who like VAR have suggested that it's still absolutely accurate. Every decision no. that's been made no. by VAR is, is correct. Let's just assume, just for the purposes of this argument, that their argument is correct and that every decision has been right. The fact that City fans were so disgruntled, even though Wolves' goal had been disallowed, shows to me that there is fundamentally a different issue here. So, of the length of delays, the the drawing lines that are judging whether somebody's armpit is offside is, is ruining. Yeah, the, yeah, and that's probably the right word. The anticlimax a goal of when a goal goes in. When Aguero scored the goal yesterday against Sheffield United, obviously there was a potential VAR look at whether the referee infringed and everything. And again, I don't want to go into. The, the details of that but there was a sense around the stadium that this goal might not stand from yeah. the moment it hit the back of the net so whatever the rights and wrongs are whether you agree with the goal being given or you don't that's not the point of this particular question it is you know do we relate to do we understand i certainly do the the emotional attachment that there is to scoring a goal and how that's being taken away and I feel very strongly that match going fans are the ones who, who sense this more than those who watch it on TV. See, 
that for me, I mean, there's three points there. But that for me, in terms of the match going fans, I think is a myth. I think VAR is just as shockingly bad if you're at home yeah. as if you are at the game, regardless, because the pundits and whatever else don't have a clue what's going on just as they don't in the game. Um, Sheffield United's goal yesterday, if that stood, I wouldn't have complained because for me, it was literally a hairline offside. Um, and then for those that do say that VAR is working, then I can just point out consistency. David Silva stamped on the foot um, against Bournemouth, no penalty. VAR apparently reviewed, no penalty. Happens against Wolves, and we get a penalty. So that's because they've adjusted the margin, though. No, but, that, but, that, so that but that's was, part of the problem. If it was the way around, then that would be an issue, but it was because they didn't give it at the start, but they're now giving it to suggest improvement, so I don't think we should... Well, no, 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 that. But that's part of the problem because you're changing the rules halfway through. So that could have then been the difference between three points um, and the title. Yeah. So you can't change rules halfway through a season because then it benefits one. So we've seen this with the handball where uh, yesterday Van Dijk um, had his arm out and they said it was too far back. Literally kicked the ball up and they scored from that thing, but they said it was too far back. It's consistency. VAR isn't working and it isn't bringing consistency, which is what most people wanted it to bring in when we were seeing so many referee mistakes so I, th- I just think people people are never going to be happy football no. fans are never going to be happy because we knew what it was like before VAR Every pe- some people were leaving the ground going oh, I can't bother with football anymore the refereeing quality is too low I, I don't want to go anymore uh, Arsenal semi-final FA Cup the ball went out the back yeah. they said the ball went out the back line it didn't we lost the game we would have won that game with that I came out the game feeling really disgruntled referee myself absolutely gutted because I, I know I've made mistakes myself but when you leave the ground and you've been it's a massive injustice like that and you might have a few injustices throughout the season that's tipped some people over the edge to not go the game again just like this now is is disgruntling people in a different is, is way not different though because you it's, can hear thousands of people singing it this isn't individuals walking away being disgruntled that's because we've this got thousands of people to, for it to be focused on yeah. no, no, we, no. we were all shouting at referees yeah, but the, this is in the, the black for how many how many years so it's now not the referee it's yeah, now the, VAR the, 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 it's literally VAR just changed the same as that. no one or, is ever or, going to be happy if you, if you abandon VAR completely and it goes back you, you might end up for a few years you'll have people going yeah but at least we're not taking five minutes to decide a goal then soon it'll it'll change refereeing standards everyone, I, they, everyone does the best referees do the best linesmen do the best we're going to have marginal offside decisions that are wrong that are going to cost people Champions League finals they're going to cost billions of pounds decisions and if they're not done correctly I'm not saying VAR's done correctly at the minute because the margin for error is an issue but we we need to make sure that we don't get rid of it too early <laughs> What I will say is that just bringing that subject up at the podcast has shown the height of feelings because it's the thing that's probably got you going the most. So I know it's going to be a subject that we're going to come back to. But that's where we'll draw a line under 2019 for Forever Blue podcast. Thanks very much to everybody that's listened. Believe it or not, don't forget to mention that when we come back. Probably first birthday podcast. Is it? Oh yeah, yeah. First birthday. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the vlog, the vlog clocked uh, around three million views um, over oh. the festive period, um, and I know a lot of people listen to this. I get a lot of uh, very positive response, for which I'm very appreciative. Thanks very much, of course, to CharlesLouis.co.uk, um, who are the sponsors of this. Without them, there perhaps wouldn't be a podcast as well. So thanks very much to them, and to you three, and to all the other contributors for 2019. Mm. There have been so many of them, Paul and Emily and well I'm not going to list everybody but thanks very much to everybody who's contributed we will be back um, not with any of you lot uh, but with the City Matters Committee in the new year give them a grilling uh, I will give them a grilling but they're, they're a good bunch especially that Matty yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so thank you um, for subscribing for downloading and uh, we'll see you all again happy new year to you all happy new year happy blue year we should say and uh, we'll see year. you again soon toodaloo